Great to be with you again this morning and the privilege to be able to spend some time in God's Word. And uh, as we do so, again, as always, we'll be looking to the Lord just that He might touch our hearts and remind us of both who He is and how He desires us to live today. Um, as was noted, we're going to be looking at John in chapter 13 and verses 20 and following and uh, spend some time again looking at the challenge as we look at how Jesus lived and the challenge in how He desires today for us to therefore live. I'm going to pause with a word of prayer and then again we'll just set our time before the Lord and uh, be reminded of His presence and we'll dive right in. Let's pray. Lord, thank You that again this morning we can uh, be here in this place, that we can set all the many distractions of life that are all around us every day, every moment, and for this time, I pray that we can set those aside, leave those things outside this wall, that we might just come to you, listen to your word, hear from you, and that we might truly know you, that you might bring clarity in who you are, in our journey, in how you desire us to walk, and the life that you desire to live within us. Thank you that today you've provided your Holy Spirit, not only to um show the way, but to be the way, to empower, to um, indwell, and, and to give us the very life that you desire. Thank you that this morning as we open your word, as always, we can be both encouraged by your presence and challenged in the way that we are to live, now knowing who you are and how it is you desire us to live. I thank you this morning that you alone can bring clarity to your word, that it is not an academic challenge, but it is a uh, an exercise in listening to your voice. And I pray that we would listen to your voice alone and no one else's. That we would only grab hold of your things. Nothing more, nothing less than what you have for us this morning. And for that we give thanks. In Jesus' name, Amen. Alright, I'm going to be opening the Word to John 13. And as we do, as I mentioned, always challenge that as we look at the way Jesus lived, that we know we are now called His bride, His body on earth. And I often wonder how often we call ourselves the body of Christ, and yet, do we live Christ-like? We acknowledge that we have Christ as His church, and yet, do we allow Christ Himself to truly live? And this morning is no different because we're going to see and I'm actually going to back up as our verses that were so wonderfully read already um, set the tone and the stage for us to ponder a few things. I want to read the few verses leading up to our passage this morning just to remind us of the context because it's all building up to what we read this morning in Jesus' interaction with His disciples, with Judas, and, and a challenging passage uh, as it should be when we see one of what was Jesus' own disciples, it says, receiving Satan into him. And so, to get the full context in the picture, I'm going to back all the way up to John chapter 13 and verse 6, where he was washing the disciples' feet. And I want to just hone in a few moments at the conversation taking place as he was doing this between him, Peter, and the rest of them. It says this in John 13 and verse 6. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? 
Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean. But not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you will believe that I am he. Now I wanted to read those verses because as we enter into our passage this morning, Jesus in that conversation just set the stage for everything that's going to take place. He referred to the scripture in which he said, he who ate my bread, lifted up his heel against me. He was foretelling what was about to happen, that he was going to give someone bread, and that taker of the bread was going to betray him, was going to rise up against him. He was foretelling that though they were clean and needed only their feet washed, that not all of them were clean, because he knew He knew that out of all those He had chosen, there was one, one who was unclean, one who was prepared to hand Him over. And as we read this morning's passage, Jesus says this in John 13, verse 21, after saying all these things, Jesus was troubled in His spirit and He testified, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray Me. And the disciples looked at one another uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples whom Jesus loved was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. And I love some of the original translations say he was reclining on his bosom. And it just shows the intimacy of the relationship with Jesus. They were reclining, resting on one another. And as he was at his side, it says this in verse 24, Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. And can you get that vivid picture? They're reclining, they're resting, and now they're looking around at one another as Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. And they're all wondering whom. And Peter (laughs) ushers to the one closest to Jesus and says, who's he talking about? Ask him, ask him. 
And you begin to see some of the dynamics within that group. Maybe Peter was already quieting down after the many times he opened his mouth first. Remember? (laughs) I must suffer. Over my dead body, you're not going to suffer. What was his words? Get behind me, Satan, right? (laughs) We know Peter was quick to speak. And at this moment, now, here, he ushers John to say, ask him, ask him who he was talking about. And as he does, Jesus says to him, it is he, verse 26, whom I give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then, verse 27, after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. And I'm going to stop there, because there's a few things I'd like to look at this morning, as God has just been pressing upon my heart some things that are pretty important. The first is this, that as you look, notice this, Jesus knew whom, it tells us, even before this moment was going to betray Him. And yet those intimately closest to Him, who were with Him every moment, every day, who watched Him, listened to Him, stayed with Him, at the moment He said, someone is going to betray Me, notice how incredibly bewildered they were at trying to guess who it was. What does that tell you about the purity of Jesus' love? What does that tell you about the way that Jesus acted to those who rejected Him in contrast to those whom He knew truly loved Him? They could not figure it out. Peter and John, whom it says, whom Jesus loved and whom were with Him, you could say, most. Both had to take the time to what? Ask Him straight out, Jesus, who is it? That says something. And this morning, I'm being challenged with this, that often, I say, I'm in the body of Christ... I say I'm indwelt like Christ. I know I'm called to live like Christ. But do I actually love like Christ? Great question. Do I love in such a way, with such a capacity, that someone could not know my friend from my enemy? Jesus loved unconditionally. And there's that point in place and there's a few vivid pictures. Often dipping a morsel of bread and giving it to someone was a sign of respect. Like at the king's table when they would reserve a choicest seat or the choicest cut. And you get this picture that right to the end 
Jesus loved. Shared. And as we're going to share today, again, that vivid picture, it's a communion Sunday of a breaking of bread, a laying down of one's life, that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. And yet I'm challenged this way, this week, that so often I can be a receiver of that love and yet respond and produce hate. I can be a receiver of God's grace and yet fail to be gracious in the world that I walk in. I can receive God's forgiveness and yet fail to be a forgiving person. There's so much that Jesus does that Jesus gives in abundance. And I claim to receive and yet fail to allow, while it may flow in, to flow out. Jesus was incredibly patient to the end. And the challenge this morning I want to leave with you is this, that in the verses to come, it's going to say, listen, as Jesus speaks, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. That is that we are called to go out and love just as he loved us. And yet... Notice, right to the end, Judas loved, cared for, not able to see a difference between how he loved Peter, how he loved John, how he loved any of the disciples, and how he poured love on Judas, right to the end. In fact, so much so, that even when he said, the one I give the bread is the one whom will betray me, afterwards, what did the disciples do? Maybe he was telling him to go and buy stuff for our needs. They still, it was plain in front of them, what? Couldn't get it. Couldn't get it. And yet Judas, right to the end, had an opportunity to do something with that love. And as I've been pouring through the Scriptures this week, it's been hitting me just how often God reminds us and shares that. I've told you often that in the book of Revelation, often it's seen as this book of condemnation, a book of judgment, and that it is. And yet, more and more, the more I read it, the more I study it, the more I see an incredible book of grace. Why? because all the way pouring through it, was not a God torturing the unbeliever. Not a God simply, as I often saw as a kid, ooh, ha, 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 now they're going to get what they deserve. Right? A giant squishing ants with his big boot. But the more I read, the more I see verses like this, Revelation 2, verse 21, I gave her time to repent. And she does not want to repent of her immorality. I see verses like this, Revelation 3, Remember what you've received and heard and keep it 
and repent therefore. I remember verses like this. Revelation 9 and verse 18. A third of mankind was killed by these plagues, by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone, which proceeded out of their mouths, for the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents and have heads, and with them they do harm. And the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, so as not to worship demons and the idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders, nor their sorceries, nor of their immorality, nor their thefts. What does that tell you? As God's judgment began to come, there remained a what? An incredible call to repentance. And still they did not. They would not. And again in Revelation 16, when it says He poured out fierce wrath and heat and they blasphemed the name of God and the one who had power over the plagues, and they did not repent so as to give Him glory. What does that tell you? Not how great, though it is, the, the incredible power of God, though it is, in every way. Here's something greater. How hard the heart of man that in those last moments, those last days, and we read verses that say, please, rocks, fall on us and hide us from the One who is doing this. The Lamb. More than anything, shows you just how hard our heart can be. Rather cry out to rocks to fall on us and hide us then bow our knee to the One who is Lord. This is Judas. And as we read this morning, we see a God patiently waiting, loving to the end. But in the end, having received, having watched, having listened, a choice made can't be better put than in Romans in chapter 1. When it says this in verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them says this in Romans 1 verse 21, For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of God for incorrupt, the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator. How 
having received and seen that love, they exchanged. And what's the exchange? Take something you have and trade it for something else. They took the glory of God and exchanged it for the worship of man. I want you to hear what Romans goes on to say in chapter 2, talking about this God of love. Do not think lightly of the riches of His kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. What's the call? That Jesus loves to the end. Why? For the purpose of repentance. And as we come before Him this morning, The deep question is, as Jesus has loved, do I love? Have I received? Or have I made the great exchange? You see, that moment in which we read that Judas was taken over, indwelt by Satan, was the moment in which God gave him over. Right to the end. And as much as we long to know God, as long as we long to pray for others to know God, we can know one thing for sure, and that is that God longs for us to know Him and is chasing after each and every one with that same energy and fervor and passion, patiently waiting that all might bow the knee. And if there's any depiction of 1 Corinthians, I want you to hear again that definition of love written by Paul to this church. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Does not take into account a wrong suffered does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. If there's any example of that depiction and description, it's Jesus' love. That though He may have been tempted in any way, the patience, the kindness, not acting unbecomingly, didn't seek His own, not provoked, didn't take into account a wrong suffered, bears all things, believes all things, endures all things. Can that be said of your interactions? Not with those whom you love and feel love from, But how would you define your last interaction with those who you don't feel loved by? Respected by? Helped by? Felt hurt by? You see, there's something else here, and that is this, that not only do we see an incredible picture of Jesus' love, we also see an incredible picture Ability for the religious to put on the righteous mask. Isn't it interesting that after Jesus takes a piece of bread, dips it, and 
says the one I give to this, right, is going to reject me, hands it to Judas, and even now, all the other disciples say what? Couldn't be him. Jesus must have sent him to get what we need for the feast. He was so the part, did everything, said everything, went everywhere, whatever he did, was so prevalently observable as righteous that even now, what? They couldn't see it. Not him. If anyone. Perhaps Peter knew his own heart that when Jesus was going to say, hey, you're going to reject me, never, right? Perhaps Peter himself was fearing that, hey, maybe it's me. I might have had the same fear. John, ask him who it is. Because it might be me. It might be. But not Judas. No, never. Never underestimate one's ability to put on the religious mask of false righteousness when all the while inside, rejection. They've received the love, felt the love, received the same teaching, forgiveness, opportunity to be forgiven, and yet have chosen not Jesus' righteousness, but self-righteousness. Not Jesus' love, but self-love. Not the ambition for God's glory, but self-ambition. And all this while, in the midst of disciples who've given up everything for Jesus, is one who gave it all up, only to give Jesus up. And it's a, it's a stark warning. That today we can be so like-minded that today we can come to this table that we can identify with Jesus' brokenness on our behalf. The shedding of a spotless Lamb's blood that we might now know new life. And if you think we're alone, we're not. Because the passage we often quote in 1 Corinthians to take communion is this. Again, note, 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, in giving this instruction, I do not praise you because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, so that those who are approved may become evident among you. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and then one is hungry and another is drunk. What? And I love how it's put, because that what has a big fat exclamation point behind it. It's like Paul is exasperated. He says, listen, you've come together not for the Lord's Supper. You've come, one eats and is full and is drunk and another's hungry. And he says this, what? <laughs> really? After all this? After all this? 
Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this I will not. The church of Corinth was all about a church that carried the name of God, Jesus, and yet walked in their own ways, (laughs) worshipped their own things, their own passions, their own desires, and their own directions. They celebrated religious ceremonies and festivals and yet missed the substance altogether. They shared the name of life. And just as Jesus declared those Pharisees as whitewashed tombs were carrying halls of death within them. And this morning as this is our communion Sunday, I'm challenged that as we set ourselves to take a part once again in this wonderful celebration and reminder of Jesus' brokenness, that we can take it and continue to perpetuate that mask of religious righteousness that on the outside says, I identify with Jesus' brokenness. I accept Jesus' blood and His payment for righteousness. And yet we can walk right out these doors and do what? As Judas, we can watch We can listen, we can learn, we can receive, and we can turn around and reject. And that great warning is that place and point where God says, I've given you over. Judas made that choice. And like we've looked at recently, again, that unforgivable sin, the sin that grieves the Holy Spirit, none other than to know the Savior that leads to life and say, I'd rather save myself. (laughs) To know the Heavenly Father and the way to His kingdom and say, I'd rather have my kingdom. The unforgivable sin is to know the One that can save you and say, I don't want to be saved. And in Mark 4, that's when Jesus turned to the teachers of the law and they said, we know you. You cast out demons by the power of a demon. You're a son of Satan. They knew who He was. They knew what He had done. And yet still said, we don't want you. I think there's a great picture for us this morning, not only in Jesus giving the bread as He would. And He didn't skip anyone. This is My body which has been given for you. And it was for you and for you and for you. Sorry, not for you. And for you and for you. And I died for you. Sorry, a little on the edge there. And for you and for you. Right? No, He came and died that all might live and know eternal life. He came and loved that all might know 
and that we might not look lightly of the riches of His kindness, tolerance, and patience, knowing it leads us to repentance. Today, His mercies are new every morning. And every day we awake, we have an opportunity to say, Thank You, Lord. Today I walk in repentance. Today I choose to walk in the love that You loved me. And You fill me. Therefore, I'm not dependent on the love of others. (laughs) I can give out of what You've given me. Today You've strengthened me. And I don't need the strength of others because today You've given me the strength to go where You've told me to go, to do what You've told me to do. And when I'm attached to the source, now more than I can even ask or imagine is possible. Yes, even love the ones who hate me. Even live and do the things I don't want to do. But Judas, as we read in our passage this morning, said after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out and went into the night. And isn't that the picture? (laughs) There was a choice for the light and righteousness, but he chose to walk into the darkness and be a deserter. And I hope that this morning, as God puts His finger on our hearts, we can be reminded of those things in which today, as we call ourselves disciples of Christ, we don't let those little things lie where we still need the Lord's Lordship. Where we've said yes to His kingship and now need to say yes to His Lordship over the little things. Over not in my attendance to church, but in how I treat people outside the church. In how I love those around me and all the people God puts across my path that people will know me by the way that we love one another. That we might go out and love as He loved us. And it all starts with the symbol that today as He was broken for us, we're willing to go out these doors and be broken. That we're willing to accept the path. And and more than anything, I see that very thing. Jesus gives them the bread and says, what you're going to do, go quickly. Do quickly. He said, go quickly. He knew. And as we read at the end, now is the Son of Man glorified and is glorified in Him. It wasn't a a good road before Him. And yet He was going willingly and readily, knowing that there He would find God's glory. And today, as we take that symbol, we can never neglect the substance, which is to say, we're as the body of Christ today being willingly broken for one another, laying down our rights, loving where we're hated, giving where we're not getting. And in that same token, we take that blood knowing that this, a new covenant, was the source to doing it. Jesus' death may have paid a price. It was His resurrection that defeated the chains of sin, that give us the ability now to walk away from sin. And today we celebrate that very fact. And so I'm going to stop there and give an opportunity for us to 
reflect on these things. And perhaps what we'll do is flow right into that communion celebration. That we can sit and be reminded of God's love. Be reminded perhaps of our masks where we have faked that love. Be reminded of our need for that love. But also, as importantly, remember Jesus and how He continues to love even our, in our imperfection. His patience with us. That today He died that we might live. Not children of death, but children of light. Not children of darkness, as Judas chose. So what I'm going to do is ask Rob to come. He's going to play something while we perhaps come by and each pick up And as you feel so led, stand and come over and grab a cup and a piece of the bread. And if you want to bring it back to your seat, and again, take that time to reflect on both who God is and what He's been doing in your heart, your life, your walk, and your way. And then as we all have it together, we'll take together um, and pray before we do so. So let's reflect as we do so now. You gave, you gave your life away. 
Thank you. Thank you that this morning we can come together and celebrate your life, your love. Thank you that you love us with that same ability to see beyond our sins. But you see the sinner. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you that you laid down your life for each and every one of us. And thank you that today you equip us, you indwell us and give us what it takes to do likewise. Thank you that today we know that perfection is impossible, but progress is, and that day by day we are being made more and more into your likeness. But that often begins with admitting where we've been wrong, where we've given hate instead of love, where we've walked against you, not with you. And I pray this morning that as we partake in this reminder of who you are, what you've done, and more importantly, what you continue to do. I pray that we would be reminded of those things, knowing of your endless patience, calling us to that place of repentance. Thank you that your mercies are new every morning and that today we come before a holy God who takes weak people and is making us holy. Thank You today we can choose away from self-righteousness and be acceptors of Your righteousness. And I just pray this morning again, not just a ceremony, that You'd be honored by the substance we worship, Your Son Jesus. Amen. And we take the bread which He broke and said, This is My body given for you.
and are reminded of that very thing, that as He was given for us, He now uses us as His children. And we are given that we might be broken for one another and share God's love as He first loved us. And so let's take and contemplate those things. We are also reminded of this cup, a symbol of the blood of Christ. And while the blood of bulls and goats could not pay for our sins, the righteous blood of a spotless lamb could. And when He paid that price, He not only paid a price, but gave us by resurrection what we need to live. Not just to want to live, but to live that life. To love the way He loves. To forgive how He's forgiven. And today, this blood gives us what it takes to not just know about it, but to go out and do it. And for that, we're thankful in the celebration of the life that He offers us. And so let's drink thinking of those things which He's going to do as we go out of these doors today. Lauren, would you pray in thanksgiving? What an awesome God. The perfection of Your plan of salvation. The the completeness of Your rescue of humanity from our rebellion. We are so grateful for uh, the unthinkable sacrifice of Christ. The immeasurable lengths of Your grace to reach us in the midst of our sin and to save us. Lord, we pray that that as we go from this place today, that we would walk in the reality of Your salvation. That we would live in the perfection of Your righteousness. And Lord, that we would that we would love in the completeness that You have loved us. We thank You for all that You've done for us. In Jesus' name, Amen.